everyone. Welcome to Journey 34. Today, I have Alex Holmes on the podcast and really excited for this conversation. think that we can hit on some really interesting things. And I think you have a really interesting point of view on a lot of the things that are close to my heart. So, um, you know, I, I would love for you, Alex, to just start off telling people, um, you know, who you are. So a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, where you are, everything like that. Okay. Um, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, so my name is Alex Holmes. I am an author of the book, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. Um, I'm a student psychotherapist, so I'm in the process of my training at the moment, but I, um, I work as an existential um, mental health coach. So I work with the four tenets of freedom, authenticity, consequences, and responsibility as a way of understanding as a method to working with my clients to get them to kind of own their actions and their um their own level of freedom and to find out what it means to live an authentic life um, and to live a life that is to their own calling um and to their own understanding um i'm applying that to my training which is existential psychotherapy and um yeah and I'm, I'm a writer and yeah i write weekly essays um on the intersections between you know philosophy and mental health and i just you know deep thinker sure. um ravenclaw um yeah. i don't know i don't know what else to really add about from that um and i host a podcast called time to talk cool. um, with alex holmes where i have these kinds of conversations just one-on-one -on -one, um, sometimes group conversations, but one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, navigating uh, what it means to be human and, um, you know, talking about the transitions and the like. So, Very yeah. cool. And uh, would you be able to just kind of clarify a little bit on how, you know, existential psychotherapy differs from, you know, the more traditional sense of it or what maybe people have in their mind as psychotherapy? Right. So I'm in the process of still trying to understand that myself because there's no direct answer. Um, the way I understand it is that our main struggles with life is that we um, we have deep anxieties around loads of things that we can't control. And the way I understand existential psychotherapy because the way I understand existentialism um, and I'm a student so I'm consistently reading around what existentialism is and who um, kind of um, writes and speaks about it but it is about um, philosophy for the modern day for, to apply to life um, and when I say you know you work around the tenets of authenticity freedom responsibility and consequences it's about understanding that you know freedom is there for you do you have that as a human being, as a human, um, understanding what that looks like, and then the choices that you make, you have to, um, you know, understand the consequences of those choices that you make, understand that, you know, in order for you to live an authentic life, to live a life that is um, true to you, one that you can really appreciate and love not, not not what is conformed by other people's opinions, not what's conformed by the expectations from society on you, but what you decide is an authentic life for you. Um, and in, in combining all of those things, we come together and we figure out what are the building blocks for us to kind of make new, um, new patterns and, and rehashing and re-understanding what that means to be us. Um, because each one is different. 
each of us have different elements of it um and i think that when it comes to the psychotherapy part yeah we're, we're, we're working with um you know old belief patterns and values and we're really trying to problem solve and really look through what's been going on with all with past traumas and present traumas and things that's happening in people's lives um but that's as much as I can say as a student yeah. um but I I like using the approach in coaching because I like getting and working with my clients to get from one place to the next I like seeing um and like empowering them to yeah. kind of be able to make the decisions that they need to make and that's super important to me I think that um more of that is what we need um, you for know sure. so yeah. yeah yeah no for sure and you know something you kind of touched on there which I've tried to wrap my head around a lot and I talked to a lot of people about is you know the idea that you do have control over you know a lot of the decisions that you make and maybe not you don't you might not have control over everything external but you have control over um, a lot that goes on internally and yeah. you know taking the power back and you know talking about that you know you have the freedom to choose um, you know one thing that I hear a lot from people is you know this idea of you know, I feel like I have no control in my life. I feel like, you know, there's, there's people that are telling me what I need to do or that there's guardrails or that, I, you know, I keep running up against something. Um, you know, is that, is that something that you've run into a lot when talking with people about this kind of things through coaching? And, you know, if so, what do you, what do you usually kind of say to them to help them break through and help them realize that they actually do have a lot more control than um, they might think? Um. I think it's about understanding how to search for the answers. Okay. Really and truly. And just kind of saying, look, this is this is the problem that you're presenting to me. This is what I like, you know, if I even take myself as an example. Um, if I'm going, I've, I've been, you know, I'm turning 30 at the end of this year. I keep having these existential crises around what it means to be me. Um, I'm almost 30 and then I'm in a particular area of my life. People around me are having kids, getting married, buying new homes, starting new jobs. And I took the decision that I wanted to go and study further. Um, so that means, you know, I've actively taken a decision to be financially different to a lot of my, um, to a lot of my friends um, and a lot of family members, you know. Um, so my progress is slightly different in a different way. But that's about me learning how to accept that and kind of say, look, this is me and my path. I can't um consistently compare myself to the paths of other people because what does that leave me that leaves me in a bundle of sadness and deep anxiety because you start to then question yourself like am I doing anything right is this something that I should be doing um self-doubt becomes crippling and you know the inner critic then becomes empowered and it starts to really sit down and say look this is this is all your fault this is what you're doing you made this decision and you know I've been through those processes of not being kind to myself um and I've been through those elements of just saying look I wish I could um be different or be better or be x y and z and I think that it's important to sit down and really ask ourselves the questions around what does it mean to live authentically what yeah. does it mean to live a, a, a life that I could be proud of um, and be and be happy to live without the kind of um, obstacles and burdens that people kind of have placed on you, even though they a lot of those come from 
us ourselves. We place them on ourselves because we carry those things. So when I'm speaking to my clients, when I'm coaching them, I just try to ask them around kind of where did you learn that? Like, what does, what, what does that mean? What, was, what would the best possible scenario be? And what would the worst case scenario be? And then what do you think is really going to happen? Um, and we just sit down, we kind of like postulate on all of that and just try to figure out where we can go next. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what I do um, yeah. and, how I, and how I feel that I can help people. So yeah. For sure, no. And you know, I think another you know, huge thing that resonates a ton with me is when you're talking about everybody needs to live a life that's authentic to them. Right. And I think that, you know, like you were kind of saying is a lot of the ideas of, you know, um, I, I go and I call them like shoulds of what you should do, what you should be doing, how much you should have accomplished by this age, whatever it might be. And, you know, like I go back to uh, the story that, you know, my parents told me a lot of times and it was, you know, you kind of you you grow up, you get a job, you get married, you buy a house, you retire. And, you know, I feel like that is a very common um, you know theme and story that you know, people our age are told. And so going out there and living something that, you know, is authentic to you and pushing against that, I think a lot of times takes a lot of courage and not, not a lot of people either even see that or are too afraid to jump in and do that. Now, another thing that you touched on, which I struggled with a ton is that inner critic. And again, I think some people are conscious to it. Some people are unconscious to it where, for me, it was the idea of perfection. Uh, my inner critic was, you need to be perfect in order to be enough, right? It really came down to like, you know, you need to be perfect in order to be loved, to be worthy of love. Um, and it was extremely loud in my head. And so, you know, I, again, I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And so I'm curious for you, what was some of the work that you did to start quieting that inner critic um, or like that you've seen help other people? Um, so some of the work that I did to quiet the inner critic was um I had to get into therapy I've been in therapy for five years um and I had to sit down and really work with my therapist to assess whose voice it was um where it came from and it comes from a myriad of people it comes from primary well in the UK we have primary schools so I guess that would probably be elementary schools for you guys if you have elementary over there um so primary schools their teachers from there um secondary schools from there friends um or people that you that were your friends um growing up you know teenagers can be cruel very cool people um parents um authority figures things like that critical people who have um contributed to the way that we behave um sometimes unwilling unwittingly some they don't know these things it's not about them being malicious sometimes um and when as we grow up we hold on to a lot of these so what i did i went to i went to therapy after a series of breakdowns and i just started questioning where all of this came from and what made me believe these stories um so i'm a writer and i just put everything down on paper i just started journaling heavily i started really um writing out when those negative thoughts came up what i would say to this negative this inner critic and um and i still struggle with it i still struggle with the inner critic side of things i still struggle with um how to uh 
transition through those periods you know just kind of like really that I'm just I'm better at identifying it um and I think that that's probably the aim is to mm. get better at identifying where it is and when it comes up and then trying to find a way to navigate around it but I definitely still do struggle yeah. with that and I don't think and then you know and I, and I always get and I think it's important to be honest about those things you know there's going to be I don't like quick fixes I don't like you know 10 10 ways to you know correct your life or fix your you know fix your x y and z I think that we are humans and we live in um in like in a in flux and we are consistently changing one day we may get a breakthrough on something and then the next day something pops up to challenge that breakthrough you know so we need to figure out we need to figure out how to be ready for when those things pop up um so the inner critic will pop up um it'll pop up at times where it's unnecessary and you don't want it to be there yeah. um it's like for me I wrote about the inner critic in my book but it's funny because as I was writing my book the inner critic popped up because yeah. it said like it's saying things like can you even write this book is it something that you want to be writing are you qualified enough do you, anybody want to hear what you have to say will it sell all these other things all of this stuff as I'm writing the book and it is uh, it is a challenging place to be but you, but I think the important part is really understanding what it means to trust yourself um again another thing that is hard to do because we're not necessarily taught to do those things it's hard to condition ourselves to do that um but yes that's basically what I what I do and you know I'm, I try to model myself of like a you know, people, I'll see what my idols do. And I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. What you what you do? Would this work for me? Probably, probably not. But yeah. it's interesting to see that we're not alone in all of this. There are people who um, are, are actively trying to make some sort of a change. Yeah, no, that, that's really cool. And I love that because, um, you know, my, my journey with that was very similar. And I started going to therapy and started identifying a lot of the root causes. And one of the big ones for me was also having compassion for it and learning to love that, you know, a lot of these thought patterns and a lot of these, you know, um, actions and habits actually came from a defensive place, right. And a defense mechanism, um, that I needed as a child to keep me alive. Mm. And so learning to love that and also learning, um, and really accepting that I don't need them anymore. Um, and you know, I'm curious for me, I held a ton of shame about when I started going to therapy, um, you know, I think especially as a man, especially, you know, just being afraid of being seen as weak, you know, whatever it might be, but there was a lot of shame there. And I didn't tell anybody for the first couple of years, you know, until a couple of years in, I finally told my sister who was the closest person to me. And, you know, uh, it, her reaction of it not being a big deal kind of shattered my world because I thought it was gonna, you know, <laughs> blow her away. Um, I'm just curious if you had, um, any experiences like that when you started going to therapy? Was there shame or were you pretty open about it from, from the beginning? Well, there was absolutely shame. Like really, I kept that a secret for a long time. Um, I think it wasn't until I, I was two and a half years in. Yeah. Maybe three, I mentioned it to my mom. And then I slowly mentioned it to my dad like a year later or something. Yeah. But it wasn't like, hey guys I'm in therapy because that's just not the way I was conditioned to yeah. to be that's, that was not my personality 
I, it, that, that was not what it was. Um, but I think over time, it just became what I do, you yeah. know? Yeah. I'm just like, oh, can you do this now? I've got a therapy session in an hour or something. And they're like, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, it's not, I, you know, I had to make it less of a big deal. Yeah. Because, I, you know, you start to build this whole thing up. It's this idea that is what we've, it's what we've um, kind of created for us to, ourselves, these stories, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I didn't want it to be a big deal. And, you know ultimately people aren't that interested in other people's lives <laughs> yeah. if we're being 100 percent honest as interested yeah. as interesting as you think your life is other people have <laughs> so many other things that they're interested in you know um and we take up such small portions of people's lives but obviously parents you know they they want to be interested in their children and yeah um well depending on your experiences but um yeah honestly it just it's just not something that comes up often enough and now that I'm studying and training as one it's yeah. just a thing that I just speak about often anyway it's just yeah. a thing you know and it's funny now because my parent like my dad is particularly particular he will be um watching psychological thrillers or thrill or films where the where the villain is a psychologist or something yeah um or a therapist or something along those lines and he will just be he'll turn to me as the resident expert um, (laughs) around mental health and things of that nature and I'll just be like I just don't I don't know like I can't I couldn't tell you yeah (laughs) because it's I'm a like it's fiction I just it's like you know it's like turning around and saying I don't know one of those like crime procedurals yeah (laughs) and you're just saying and you turn to an actual police officer is like is this what it's like in the fbi or whatever and you're just like no like i I can't (laughs) can't sit here and tell you that that's what you do sometimes it's just very not that so um yeah (laughs) yeah i i think it's um it's really interesting how like the way what people's perceptions of things are and um i guess that's why i do what i do because i just like speaking to people about this stuff and having those kind of conversations as well yeah yeah no, it's, it's so funny. And actually, I remember in my, in my first uh, session with my therapist, the first thing that she basically said was, you know, this is not like the movies, <laughs> right? Like, that's not how it's going to go. You know, I'm not, <laughs> you know, laying up the actual rules and not, yeah. you know, what a lot of people come in with. And I'm no, not going to lie you down and say, tell me about your mother. <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, it's <laughs> not, it, you know, it really wasn't, it really wasn't that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's, I love that. And so, um, you know, kind of transitioning a little bit uh, to the book. And, you know, so I'd okay. love kind of a, a little bit of a deeper dive on specifically what it's about and really to um, what made you want to write that book. And, you know, was it you've always wanted to write a book? Was it always that one specifically? Did it kind of come up um, sporadically? I'd just love to hear a little bit of that story. Okay. Um yeah so I've always written I've always that was my primary medium um it's the introvert's tale isn't it it's I used to just be in my room and I used to read books and write things and imagine myself writing a book one day and all of these things and books were my best friend first and words were my community (laughs) it's so like it's, it's I'm a cliche but essentially um I have been obsessed with reading for a long time for a long time I sometimes ask my mom every now and then just to tell me the story of me reading when I was like five or four and um 
I you know I would like I would literally you know I wasn't like other a lot of other boys. Um, I read a lot. I literally was inside of them. I mean, I played outside, and not gonna say I was I wasn't hermetic, but um, I played outside i did go and did ride my, i rode my bike i did play sports i did all of the things i was kind of a i was a well-rounded child like yeah. if i if i if i think about it now i played in sports basketball football rugby um swimming i did music so i did piano i did violin i did saxophone i did all of these things i spent a lot of time reading so i read like novels i read non-fiction books i read all of these things and i was just and i was interested in like popular culture and things of that nature so i was kind of so i was i was never somebody who was so so far set apart but then i got to a point where in my mid-20s where i've sat down and i thought to myself what does it mean to be a man today hmm. and what does it mean to be a man to me and i started thinking about it and i was like I just gave you, um, Jared, a list of all the things that I'd done growing up. Um, I think you're equivalent to, I don't know if you have class presidents. Uh, yes. Uh, how is it? I was I, I had the equivalent. We have head boy, head girl, and then you have pre uh, prefects and things like that. I have. I became head boy. Um, I won as many awards as I possibly could. Um, and I did all of these things. And I looked at it and I was thinking, what was I pushing for what was this overachievement I mean I traveled I got scholarships to go and do to start my career in journalism and um, I managed to get on that and I fast-tracked my career into there and I and I wanted to succeed and be the best in all the things I wanted to be and I burnt out very quickly um had my breakdowns and ended up um in therapy and kind of talking about all this stuff and questioning what it meant to be a man and then I, um, so I started writing like loads of different little blog posts every so often. Um, some of them were published, some of them didn't. And I started writing and I started thinking to myself, like, I, I don't know what this could be, but it's interesting where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. um, so I started a podcast in 2018, uh, where I started speaking to people one-on-one -on -one just about what they, you know, their experiences with wellness generally was, that was my thing. Um, and then it started, then it changed slowly. It became about mental health. It became about, I started speaking to people about suicides and depression and anxiety and personality traits and burnout and um, panic attacks and mental health advocacy and all of these things. I started talking to people about that. And I said, there are so many men out here who are talking about this stuff to me like but we are told that we don't talk yeah um and then time to talk was born and I just started writing about that and then yeah so then the book came together um I started interviewing some guys for the book and so the book is yeah the book is called time to talk how men think about love belonging and connection and I say this every time I think about this book it's not the book I initially wanted to write but it's the book that I needed to write um, and the book is centered around six man, man myths that um, a lot of men kind of find themselves trapped by. I had like a ton of myths, but there were six I had to whittle it down to. And that was real men don't doubt themselves. Real men are fearless go-getters. Real men don't cry. 
Real men have no worries or concerns about their bodies. Real men never fail. And real men, and there's a last one, completely forgotten. It's just gone blank in my mind. Hey, hey. Real men are lone wolves, is the last yeah. one. Yeah. And I, and then, so yeah, I started really playing into that. And then the book was born out of, out of those, out of those six myths. And it play, it looks at my own anecdotes um, around all of those myths. And then it looks at um, somebody else's experiences with those myths. And, mm-hmm. then it find, and then we get to the point where we are exploring the reality of what that is. So it's, it's um, yeah, proud of my little book. Yeah. There. And, um, and the conversations I've been having about it has been really interesting because they inspire me, the people that I spoke to inspire me, the people that I speak to about the book inspire me. Um, and I'm just loving what I'm learning from people. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. And, you know, I, I love all of those and those are all topics that really hit close to home for me. And, you know, kind of similarly uh, for myself, it really kind of I realized how big of a deal it was when I joined a men's group and we started having these conversations and, you know, having these men open up to you and you look at these, I'm looking at these men, I'm seeing these strong, like, you know, confident, like they seem like they have everything going for them. Um, And then hearing them open up about, you know, either planning or, um, you know, attempting their own suicides. Right. And just realizing how serious of, um, you know, how serious it is of what I kind of hear as one of the one of the topics that goes through a lot of those myths that you just mentioned is the idea of loneliness right is that in a lot of them um you know as a man you're expected to deal with things on your own you do not need help from anybody um and you know I think I think that's where a lot of it starts from. And, you know, the one that I always go back to as well is, you know, the only emotion that you're allowed to show as a man is anger, right? You're not allowed to show softness or be sad or cry or whatever it might be. That is the only acceptable, um, the only acceptable emotion. And you need to always appear strong. You always need to be that rock for other people. And, you know, I'm curious, (laughs) Do you think that, do you think that men want to have those conversations or do you think that it's more of a, and it just creating safe spaces and having those conversations that they know that other people struggle with it as well? Or do you think it's even bringing awareness to the fact that, Hey, let's have some conversations about this and about these actions, about why we do some of the things that we do. That's a very good question, Jared. Um, I think that men, I, okay, I would like to think yeah. that men want to have these conversations. I don't know for sure. I can't speak for all men. Um, some men don't have the time to consider what that is, what that looks like. Some men just have other priorities and other concerns. Um, but I do think it's a very important element of our existence that men do sit down and talk I think we are the we are the gender that 
needs to do that. Um, I think that is something we've seen it across. We've seen it across the Western world, like typically, because I can't speak for um, outside of Western cultures. But in the Western world, men are not conditioned to um, be outwardly emotional, mm-hmm. and to be and silence is, you know, for a long time was deemed as a as a strength. And that kind of emotional stoicism was something that we kind of lent into um, and, we're, and, and really condition ourselves into as boy, from boyhood into manhood. Um, I do think that there is obviously benefit in talking. And I think that um, when we start to think about men coming together and having conversations, we need to really uh, create spaces that are safe enough and that and that inspire trust for men to have these conversations. But equally, I think that when we when men come together to have these conversations, there needs to be a level of understanding and desire to be met with opinions and values that do not necessarily meet yours at the same time, because that is how we forge true connections. Um, so when it comes to my age or question as what it means to be a man today, um, and when I run my men's groups and I kind of, and I speak to the men's groups around their own, um, um, certain topics, whether that be self-healing or exploring that my whole thing is inclusivity. And I say, you know, when we sit down as men, our experience that we have in common is that we are men and we are all born different with different ideas of what that means different expectations different deliverables but with that what we be but the importance is that we are respectful of one another i think once we let we set down those guidelines and those 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 structures we can then facilitate some real powerful conversations mm-hmm. um i facilitated a talk on on Friday just got on those International Men's Day and we had an amazing conversation it was a, a, a great panel of men and one woman um uh, different sexualities different races different ages uh, different class um, brackets all of us were just so different but the point of that conversation was to unify under what it meant to be a man today and hold space for one another to really do that and what I'm finding is that when we start to have this because I know there are people that come to me and they they say oh why do we need an international men's day and why does that why is that something yeah you know three quarters in the UK anyway three quarters of the deaths um by by men under the age of 49 is suicide um men have the highest rate of completion when it comes to suicide attempts and you know and men are more likely to kind of enter into addictive or very unhealthy behaviors when it comes to um addictions and drug drug use and alcohol and gambling and sex and abuse um of others you know when it comes to that so um so you know we have to continue to we have to have these conversations we have to be able to sit down and really find out what the element of healing is but we that has to be inclusive those spaces have to be inclusive and create those elements of um of safety for one another 
And that might be super ideological and that might be super idealistic and very like, you know, like, you know, unrealistic for a lot of people. But I believe that that can happen because I've seen it happen on some level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when people say, oh, you know, why is it like, what does International Men's Day do? You know, it's just going to amplify the voices of people who are already in power. I'm like, okay, but then what about trans men? Mm-hmm. What about non-binary people who present as masculine? What about young, you know, gay men, bisexual men, pansexual men? What about disabled men? What about those men who don't have the space to yeah. do that? What about black men? What about brown men? And then you even have the white cisgendered men who just are like at the very pinnacle of not being able to express themselves yeah. in some in a lot of ways. And that is a society that, you know, a lot of those men are supposed to benefit from. Mm. And it just it's just a matter of us being able to sit in a room and identify that question. Yeah. Who are we as men today? Who are we as men together and how can we move forward? Because I stand by it. I said, one, I feel like once men have that conversation with men, we can go out there and we can really kind of make some real huge changes. Yeah. Because all we're looking for is connection and we're looking for love and we're looking for belonging. And that is it. And those are the three tenets of my book. Those are my three core values. And that is where i'm at so sorry for the long long no that's okay that's great but it's something that i'm really impassioned about because i want to make sure that that is something that i see in my lifetime and even if i don't that's just where i'm that's just what i'm driving through with for sure no i you know i couldn't agree with more with with what you said there and you know I, i have a very strong belief that a lot of the hurt that we cause in others is trying to hide up the hurt that we have in ourselves and, you know, that is, that is one thing that I, I really try to, um, you know, start the conversation around of by healing yourself, by healing ourselves, it helps us to heal others. It helps us to put good into the world instead of evil. It helps us um, to take away a lot of those unhealthy or toxic, um, you know, uh, actions and traits and whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious for you because it's such a hard thing and it's such an, seems like an abstract thing a lot of times, but, you know, talking about the idea of safe spaces, talking about, you know, how do you make somebody feel safe enough and comfortable enough to have those real conversations to open up about, you know, these are my deepest insecurities. These are my, you know, my deep, dark demons that, you know, I've locked away and, you know, they've, they've, uh, you know, really started to pop up in other, in other aspects of my life because I've ignored them because I've pushed them down. You know, when I ask you that question of how do you think one can create safe spaces, whether it's for men, whether, whether it's for anything at all, but how do you think we create those spaces to make people comfortable to have those real conversations. I was gonna ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 would, what would make you feel comfortable? And you know, to have those conversations. For me, it was because I never had those conversations. It was very like, again, the, the idea that I needed to be perfect meant that I couldn't have those conversations. I couldn't talk about 
um, you know, the things that I didn't like about myself, the things that I was insecure about, uh, the things that I wasn't good at. And really where it came, where it started for me was learning that I wasn't alone. And that came by, through the vulnerability of others that came in, um, you know, showing up to um, a mental health event and uh, predominantly centered around men and um, hearing for the first time in my life, another man share that he was insecure about his body. And I looked at him, I went, what are you talking about? Like, you know, he looks fit, like he's small. Like, you know, the story in my head was always like, oh, you're chubby. Oh, you're fat. Oh, you're overweight. Like, you know, you're not attractive, whatever it might be. And getting stuck in that loop of, oh, I'm the only one that feels like this. I shouldn't feel like this, which brought more shame, which made it worse. And it just kind of went into that. And so being kicked out of that habit of, and that cycle of feeling like I was alone, feeling like I was the only one and realizing that other people had their own issues, other people struggled with things and having them share about it empowered me to share myself. And so whenever I try to do that, I really try to lead with vulnerability and, you know, be the first one to jump in and be like, Hey, this is something that I struggle with, or this is a part of me that I don't like. And um, without putting pressure or expectation on the other person to share, creating that open space, showing them that I'm there, I'm vulnerable and that I'll accept them, whatever they say, um, is really, is really how I think about it and what I've seen, um, through my own experiences. Okay. So one of the things that I really, that I learned from one of my guests on my podcasts, um, and he basically said to me, um, his name has gone blank from my head. So <laughs> when I'm going to, um, I'll find it in a moment. Um, but he basically said, like, when we're having conversations and when we're talking, um, Riaz Megji, um, um, he's Canadian. So I don't know whether you know, I don't know whether you would have known him because he was on TV. He was a journalist. And he said to me um when we're having conversations around you know what we what we learn as journalists I, I was a journalist as well what we learn is that in order for us to get the best possible out of another person is to meet them at a point of relatability and understanding who they are but he goes a step further we both left journalism and we decided to really start to connect with people on a different level. And in order for us to really bring somebody in to be able to trust us, we have to offer something up to the table. And I think that's something that's really important when it comes to men. If we think about the archetypal men's group with you know, six or seven men sitting around a campfire, like, talking um that's just an image that just came to my mind i have no idea where it came from but <laughs> it's something um and we want to talk about grief and in that conversation around grief it's when we point at one man and say tell me about your grief he's gonna be like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. what do you mean tell me about my grief. tell you about my grief tell me about your grief yeah um, and there's that back and forth you know you, you see how that goes but if you've got somebody in the group that says 
I lost my mum, my dad, my wife, my husband, my partner, whatever, my, my children, my child. And it really broke my heart. And this is what it did. And this is how I felt about it. This is why it felt that way. And this is X, Y, and Z. Da, 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 da. Um, and I don't know how to get through that. And I want to make sure that I can get through that and be the best possible person outside of that. And they're telling their story and they're really sharing. Um, you've offered that up onto the table to then say, what about you? Do you have anything that you can share around that? Is this something that you can bring? And some people be like, yeah, when I lost my dad, I X, Y, and Z. And you see that power in men's groups. You see that when that happens, when people start sharing about their losses and their griefs and their things of that nature. And you have to offer something up. And I think that just goes by, goes without saying in any of these, in any, in any way that we connect, in any of these things, parent to child, friends romantic partners like you know work colleagues manager to employee like we need to if we once we offer something up and we say well this is what i go through and i've been struggling with this too and this is my thing then we can have that conversation and then start to expand on that and really connect in and just say look i have those struggles too i do because it's literally what you just said earlier around the feeling of not being alone, being connected is so important and so powerful that that's when you're going to get men to open up because for better or worse, we have been told that men are supposed to do things alone. We yeah. are not meant to share any of those feelings with another person. We are meant to be the first downstairs when somebody breaks in we are meant to be the strong people that don't break down at funerals we are meant to hold a family together we are meant to not be scared if we have to go out i mean we even saw it in the lion king mufasa ran to the elephant graveyard and threw all those hyenas around <laughs> like like ragdolls <laughs> and he was angry with his son yeah. but he was scared yeah and he even died in that process of trying to save his son so that, that like you know that fear that kind of I that I have to be brave all the time that that's straight all the time it you know it has its place but it doesn't it not all the time yeah you know? yeah so you know and the one of the sayings that really stands out for me that I think plays into that is you know bravery isn't the absence of fear bravery is having fear and still being able to act and yep. you know, I think that's a big part of the conversation that doesn't get brought up a lot of times. It's, it's not that you never fear, feel fear, right? And fear comes in so many different ways and shapes and forms. And it's, it's not trying to get away from feeling it at all. It's accepting it, working, working with it and working through it. Um, but, you know, one, one other thing that I, I really want to touch on, and I know that we're, we're getting short on time here is you know what you brought up this idea of having conversations where you can disagree and that's okay yeah. right of you know i can share my views i can share how i'm feeling i can share my thoughts on you know one of your actions or one of the stories that you felt or, or your thoughts whatever it might be we can disagree and that's okay 
and there doesn't need to be more to it than that. We can still be friends. We can still be connected because I feel like a lot of times in society right now, it's very much you're on my side or you're on the other side. You're with me or you're against me, very all or nothing. And so I'm curious if you could expand on that a little bit more of why it's important to be able to disagree and share your true thoughts without, you know, the, the fear of being ostracized. There's, there's disagreeing with a thought process. I wouldn't necessarily extend that to disagreeing with an identity. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So we can have a thought process. Everybody, you know, we, I guess we can talk about race, for example. Mm-hmm. There are people who have very, very specific understandings around what it, what it means to be a black man, what it means to be a white man. And if I'm then explaining to you my experiences as a black person, Mm-hmm. and in a society that has a very very specific bias towards white people then there's a level of understanding and compassion that I would require from somebody within that the same way that if a man and a woman are speaking and a woman is explaining her experiences with the society that is that is favorable towards men that men having a, a level of compassion towards women or the woman in in question on the conversation is expected there but i think what we need to start what we need to get better at doing is having conversations yeah and really speaking about experiences that happen so I do think it's interesting if we're talking about men, if a cisgendered man sits opposite a trans man and they're discussing manhood. I think that is a powerful conversation, but only when the space is held for learning and compassion. Not when you point the finger and say, you're X, Y, and Z, you're not a real this, you're not real that, or you're X, Y, and Z, you uphold X, this, da, da, da. What does that do? I think that explaining where we are coming from is important. And yeah, there are times I have my moments where I'm just very much like, well, this is what, this is what the world is. And I've had my moments, definitely, this is what the world is. And, you know, people are to blame and, and, and whatnot. And I still hold those experiences and those feelings and those things but then but I'm also very open to knowing that we are all we all think differently all of our experiences are not the same we are all suffering in some way under under whatever it is that we're that we're here and I wouldn't be doing what I was doing if I didn't care about where people were coming from you know yeah so I think that we could just do with a little bit more compassion. Yeah. And sometimes a little bit of compassion and a lot of it. (laughs) Because, but, you know, I said in an interview the other day as well, I said, you know, what we're we're really dealing with is about clashes in values and what people have been taught by the people that they love about what it means to be them. Yeah. And then if I come to somebody and say, your granddad's, 
was a part of um, a community that no, no, that no doubt probably hated my existence, X, Y, and Z. But then you probably didn't see that. That's your granddad. So you're going to be like, oh my God, like that's my granddad. Why would you say that about him? And you're going to be upset. You're going to be emotional. You're going to be like, well, no, that's not what happened. And I think that there just needs to be, there needs to be a sensitivity. There needs to be a process. There needs to be, a, there needs to be steps yeah. to go about all of these kind of conversations. Um, no one's perfect. People do get this stuff wrong because we are humans and we are learning how to be them i just think it's a process yeah um and unfortunately you know that's the answer i have i i there's no there's no a plus b equals c yeah with 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 us we are complex yeah in yeah. another lifetime i probably couldn't even articulate that yeah. in the way that I did and I didn't even think I articulated it in the best possible way but I did the way I could so um you know no it was it was powerful it truly was and you know I think just right at the end there it's is one of the most you know important pieces is that we are all so complex and you know sometimes having that empathy having that compassion on the other side you can never truly have it because we're all so complex but you can do your best Right. And I think that's, like you said, sometimes it's even just having a bit of compassion because a lot of, in so many conversations, it's, there's none there and it's very self-centered. It's very about me. It's very defensive and yeah. And it, it leads and to, yeah, go ahead. I can't, and, and I, and the thing is, and that's, and that's fair because I can't blame somebody for that. I can't blame somebody for that. Yeah. It's just, it's an unfortunate occurrence, but you can't blame somebody for being defensive. You can't say, oh, now you're getting defensive. That's your fault. Yeah. yeah. I have no idea what they're protecting. Yeah. I have no idea what I've, what I've, what I've potentially harmed, you know? So for I was just sure. kind of like, I, I try to understand to that extent, you know? For sure. Obviously, when we are in arguments, we are just like, no, you are X, Y, and Z. I'm in a very chill state at the moment. So I'm going to like be okay to, but if you get to points of where the stakes are high. Yeah. Yeah. This and is why I could never run for um, president or prime minister because <laughs> I'm too understanding. Be like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's somebody yeah. from another, <laughs> and I just be like, and they'll be like, "What do you stand for?" I'm like, "I stand for everybody." <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah. No, I love, I love that, and you know, I think last thing I'll say on it is, um, you know, when, uh, you, especially at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, when I started to really ask questions and talk to people. Um, about it and want to learn more and, and truly try to understand the best that I could. The two things that really stuck with me um, was one, just because you haven't experienced it or seen it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Um, and two, acknowledging somebody else's trauma does not take away from your own. And those two have stuck with me um, very much. And it, they've helped me in a lot of my conversations in everything. Um, but just to have that compassion, to have that empathy for people. Mm. It's literally just looking at the wider picture. Yes. Yes, I for sure. We, I think we've 
you know, with regards to, to that, we there's so much going on in the world. But, yeah. we, you know, if you hone in on the one corner of that little bit and just say, well, this is where all the problems are, but the the whole picture is the problem. Yeah. So, yeah, like, we need to fix the picture. Yes. Yeah. That. So, um, yeah. Um, amazing. Uh, just before we, we start wrapping up here, is there anything that we didn't get to touch on? Is there anything that you um want to say or ask or anything like that not that i want to ask but just something i want to say and i think that continue having these powerful conversations jared like these this was um a very a thoughtful place mm. and i love the question that you asked and i really enjoyed my time here um i think that you know we should definitely have more conversations yeah for sure. and um and i think there's so much more to be said about these things we can't wrap up these things in an hour you know? <laughs> we can't put the world to rights like that quickly but um you know i do think that the more conversations we have around these things the more hopeful i feel yeah around about stuff yeah because i think that i think ever since the pandemic started um we've had this real real struggle with hope and what hope means um and whether anybody's ever going to make it to the next bit or whether or what what the next bit's going to look like or the next thing i think we've 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 become so frightened of what's happening next that sometimes we don't even want to believe that something can um and I think conversations like this really do help me remember and remind me that there is hope and there are things that we can do. And there are conversations that we can have and there are people that we can meet. Like we're meeting for the first time yeah. and we're completely different time zones and yeah. completely different countries. <laughs> but we can connect in that way. Yeah. And we can really have those conversations. And I think that i think that that's amazing i think that's an amazing tool an amazing power and gift so thank you for holding space for me and allowing yeah. me to to speak with you of course this, thank my evening your morning <laughs> <laughs> no th thank you so much for saying that it means a ton and yeah like thoughtful and is, is a great way to put it and i've really enjoyed this time as well um and always love these conversations and like you said they're just so important so Thank you for having it with me. Um, appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, appreciate you. And, you know, if people want to learn more about you, if people want to connect with you, where would be the best place for them to do that? Um, you can go to alexholmes.co. That's where you will find me and everything that I do. The cool. newsletter, the Instagram, the podcast, the contact form everything um i would say just go there and uh yeah talk to me instagram is my platform it's the place where i reside the most i'm not on twitter i'm not anywhere remotely near that place <laughs> but um yeah so just yeah connect with me connect with me there um yeah amazing. let's do some let's do some amazing stuff together for sure. And I'll link that in the, uh, in the show notes here. So thank you so much. No, thank you.